0: Hello and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. Before we get started uh, with our guest today, there's no live stream next Saturday. and Instead, we've got a special Monday live stream uh, edition of the podcast. Uh, It's Monday, August 9th at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern. We're going to be joined by NBC Writers on the Verge instructor and former VP of Programming at CBS and Paramount. Uh, she's a story consultant and author Jen Grisanti so if you can't make our weekly Saturday streams this one's a great opportunity because it's going to be Monday, August 9th so be sure to check that out Uh, and now on to the show Today we've got on, back on, I should say, she's been on a couple times before, Uh, the founder of the very popular Script Chat and Writer Strong Communities. She's currently the editor-in-chief of Pipeline Artists and formerly served as editor at Script Magazine and Writer's Digest. She's also a writer and podcaster herself of Reckless Creatives. Welcome back to the show, Jeannie Valette-Bowerman. How are you, JVB?
1: Great. How are you? Always good to be back.
0: It's always... And I will
1: say, mm-hmm. a little plug for your Monday show with Jen. Jen yeah. Grisanti is fantastic. She is. And you guys, especially if you're into TV writing, you should totally tune in. She's got great advice.
0: That I appreciate the promo, and I'm sure Jen will I'm as I'm well. a big fan. <laughs> uh, but it's been a little while since we've had you on, and things have sort of changed from you being with Script Magazine and now Pipeline. Um, mm-hmm. And this isn't some sort of a, a sponsored thing for Pipeline. I've known you for a long time. Pipeline is a yeah. great community. Uh, how did you become affiliated with the script pipeline, Pipeline artists, folks, and, and what do you do there?
1: Well, I would say this is like my big shout out for Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like I think I think people have a love-hate relationship with Twitter. Like definitely. Which I want to get
0: into, absolutely. Social <laughs> media has kind of become this big topic of conversation between writers So I want to get into that, but but please continue.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to talk about it because I think it's super important. Um, You know, like I, just a side note on the social media stuff, like I live in the country in upstate New York and Twitter is really how I've made so many connections. And, but so I met Matt Misotic, who is, um, you know, what his official title is at Pipeline. We're very... um, very team focused so we're not like hyper focused on like titles and all that stuff Mm. but he is basically i would say like the COO kind of thing of pipeline he is he runs a social he's like super community based and so we've always had a really good relationship when i was working at script and also at um with script chat and so i've known him for like probably 10 years and um, and he came to Writer's Digest Conference. And I you know, finally met him in person out in LA, one, one of the trips that I was out there. And so he knew that I was sort of looking for a change and wanted to shake up life a little bit. And I'd been at Script Magazine for 10 years. Um, a beautiful run. I loved it. I still love the magazine. Sadie Dean is, took over my job. Um, And Sadie's awesome, and also my co-host at Reckless Creatives Podcast. So Hmm. obviously I still have a great relationship with Script and Writer's Digest. Fantastic communities. But when Matt approached me about wanting to launch Pipeline Artists, um, I was super intrigued. Because for those who don't know, for years I had a column on Script Magazine, which I'm still going to continue, called Balls of Steel. And my whole theme of that column was to tell people what they need to hear, not Mm -hmm. what they, not what I think they want to hear. And so I would be like super honest with people. I'd rip open my wounds and hand them the salt shaker. Like if I made mistakes, fell flat on my face, I was the first person to come out and say, hey guys, guess what? I tried this and maybe you don't want to change that. (laughs) And I would just talk about like the lessons I learned, the times, you know, I got bitch slapped by Sundance, like, you know, just like everything, uh, you know, really raw, like a therapy session kind of. Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about his vision for Pipeline Artists and wanting to provide, go beyond contests and provide content um, and really help um, people learn and improve and, and understand the industry, I definitely was, um, fascinated with it because basically what he wanted was the same thing that I was doing with balls of steel. He wanted to have a platform where we, instead of just supporting screenwriters, we would also support novelists. And, um, we have, we have, um, illustrators who do incredible original work for some of our pieces and, and filmmakers. And so we wanted to support artists as a whole. And, um, tell people what they need to hear and in very honest ways. So a lot of what I love is a lot of our writers are actually not formal, like journalists or columnists. They're, they're creators. Mm-hmm. And at first they were like, I don't know if I can write an article. Like I'm, you know, I write screenplays or I write novels. I don't know if I can write an article. And we we just kept encouraging them just trust your gut and like speak from the heart. And they're, they're like, a lot of the pieces are like, they're not like how to pieces. Mm-hmm. They're more, personal essays of their people's personal experiences and what they did and what they tried. And, and, um, and some people get really, really go right there. You know, they don't hesitate to go to those like really interesting introspective places. And, um, and then we also have like long form interviews. We did a huge 11,000 word interview of Kent Powers. Um, and then I did one of, and that was done by Kevin Dellen. And I did one of Jane Friedman in the publishing world. That was probably like over eight thousand words. So we we aren't a, we don't like stick to this two minute read thing, mm-hmm. you know, one or two minute read. Like, you know, we want to really give people more information. And the other thing we're also doing is and working towards more fiction content that we'll put up on the weekends, because we believe that people who create art should also consume it. So there's a time when you should stop reading articles mm-hmm. about craft and business and you should just consume what someone else has created. So um, we post short stories and poems and um, we'll probably even do like haikus and we'll work our, we'll also create like a watch channel where we're doing films, short films mm-hmm. and you know anything we and I personally want to see people migrate over to different mediums. You know, like I want to see screen readers trying novel writing, trying writing short stories, trying to, you know, because you might realize you actually are really good at that other thing.
0: Mm.
1: And maybe you should do that, too.
0: Right. Uh, you know? I do have questions for you, but I, before yeah. I jump into it, I do want to say that if anyone in live stream has questions for JVB which I'm going to call you, which I always call you anyway, he always uh, calls me that. <laughs> please drop them in the chat now and we'll answer them as soon as we can. So if you got questions for JVB, drop them in the chat. Uh, but I do want to say when you're talking about different mediums, that seems to be a very popular thing. So it's interesting how you guys are expanding on that because I've known it as script pipeline. I didn't know that you did a bunch of other mm-hmm. things as well. But it seems like a lot of comic book writers are now writing for television or a lot of Screenwriters mm-hmm. want to develop a comic book. Authors jumping into you know want to adapt their their manuscript or their novel into yeah. a, a feature. Uh, sometimes playwrights get hired on staff on a show just based yeah. on a play they written. So it seems yeah. like there is a blending of those different mediums and, and, and how do you sort of encourage that? Because you had mentioned that you definitely are hoping to sort of encourage writers to sort of play with different mediums because great writing is great mm-hmm. writing they are different in terms of uh, the medium itself but what what do you do to encourage it and, and how do people make that sort of transition because I mean as you know as a, a, a screenwriter the the prospect of writing a novel is just daunting because it's just so dense and so uh, I mean it, you know what I'm talking about. It's it does not yeah. seem to it seems to be a completely different mountain to climb.
1: I'm doing it right now. It is oh, well, very there you go. To climb. There you go. And but I think how we could sort of one is direct influence in trying to tell them try this. Mm-hmm. The other is a more organic approach where on the site, just how you navigate the site, like you go to the read tab, and then there's all the different categories. And we don't have it set up like screenwriting is over here and filmmaking is over here. We have categories like the creative mind, where you talk about what it's like to be a creative mentally, like, you know, those kind of struggles or challenges. But then we also have like a specific crossover section where we talk about crossing over to different mediums. But our hope is that, and lots of other categories as well, but our hope is that people will read some category, you know, some article who maybe they're a musician and they're reading an article written by a screenwriter and and then they realize god you know it's not that much different from my world you know and the business aspect of publishing and screenwriting and all that they really have a lot of similarities you know and so once you kind of figure out one it doesn't it's not that huge of a leap to figure out the world of the other and um, and really, what we're all trying to do, whether you're a musician, musician, an illustrator, a screenwriter, a novelist, we're all trying to move people and emotionally and connect connect with them in some way and have them connect with our art in some way. So our goals are really the same, um, but we're just executing them in a different way. Hmm. And like with novel writing, I would encourage screenwriters to try it because. And if you're gonna start, um, take one of your scripts that you already have on your hard drive that you think would make a good novel, and um, just kind of sort of put it in in like Scrivener or whatever or Word or whatever, and you can just expand. Like you can say so much more. You can you can all those scenes that you had to cut out and put in your dead scene file, bring them back because you need more words for a novel but also you can crawl in the characters heads you can do all you can break all these screenwriting rules but I maintain that screenwriters make great novelists because we know how to make a reader have to turn the page Mm -hmm. we know how to write cinematically you know um and I think today people probably like quick read novels, you know, the beach read kind mm. of thing, because everyone's attention span is about this thing. And yeah, so that's how we, we just, you know, we just try to organically encourage people.
0: And social media, that, that's, yeah. that's you're uh, very experienced with social media, developed multiple communities on, on uh, multiple platforms. Whenever I go on to Twitter nowadays, it seems like there's a different writer Twitter, writer, Twitter drama beef, uh-huh. something going on. And it, it takes me a minute to figure out what's going on. I'm not on constantly. What is – now, Twitter, obviously, or even just social media in general, can be used to definitely enhance uh, a writer's brand, which we can also get into why a writer mm-hmm. needs that. I don't know if need is the appropriate word, but it, it can help. Uh, but it can also damage uh, a writer's brand.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. What should writers be putting out on social media out into the world? And what should they avoid putting out? And why? Like, how can and social media help and hurt them?
1: And I think the first thing somebody has to do is, like, figure out what your brand is. Because I think there are some people whose brand is actually being... Um, little ornery on social you know I think some people it actually is is part of who they are and they're so it's like I don't think there's one set of rules for everyone when it comes to social I think it's about your own personal comfort level Hmm. just how like when you're writing a story like some people are more comfortable going to those more emotional places than other people are but um I personally I could speak to how I conduct myself and that I mean, I'm always mindful that um, people are reading my tweets who may not agree with me um, and that people who may be considering working with me Mm. are looking at my Twitter feed to see, to kind of gauge my personality, to like kind of feel like, would I want to work with her? Like, you know, is she a jerk? Is she hostile? Is she argumentative? Does she appear friendly, approachable, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of mindful of that. My brand is definitely, I may be the balls of steel girl, but I, um, I try not to be a jerk. Like, you know, like I say to people, like when I have to give them one, when they say to me, give me one piece of advice, my advice is always do not suck. And I mean that by your writing, your personality, mm-hmm. your presence, your your online presence. Like, you know, be somebody somebody wants to have a cup of coffee with. They may not have to agree with me, but I happen to like surrounding myself with people who have opposing viewpoints that I have. Um, I don't like group think. I like good engaging conversations but I've found over the years, it's very hard to have those on Twitter now. Mm. Like you, you used to be able to have, I've been on Twitter since 2009. Wow. You, you used to be able to have those kinds of debates and conversation and dialogue openly and not have to worry about somebody freaking out or blocking you or, you know, and the, the world, it's not just Twitter that's changed, the world has changed. Mm. So like I say to my kids, Don't post anything. And this was actually advice my father gave me many, many, many years ago. Um, Not about social, but just about life. Um, Don't post anything online that you wouldn't want seen on the front page of the newspaper. Hmm. So when you're creating that tweet, and if you're pissed off, and you're like, "Mm," um, just breathe a second, you know, let it sit there a second and be like, do I really want the world to see this? Because it's not just the person you're mad at, you know? Um, Like I had somebody attack me the other night, at the end of script chat or the end, maybe it was the end of Pipeline Authors. I can't remember which chat it was. Um, And it was just bizarre, like came out of nowhere. And I started engaging because I am Sicilian and and I do have opinions and I was like, "Mm." pull back a second. Like my daughter was here who's actually a therapist. Oh. And I start saying to my, reading these, yeah, I was reading these tweets to my daughter and she's like, abort, abort, stop engaging. Just, just don't engage. I'm like, okay, okay. You know, so it's easy to get pulled in to that stuff because especially if somebody's attacking you. Right. You know, you want to defend yourself.
0: The but interesting yeah, thing I found I personally...
1: too. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no go I was going to say
0: the interesting thing too is that in your case, it sounds like they were definitely attacking you. But once yeah. in a while, I found that people just sound like snippy. But it's mm-hmm. hard to kind of draw actual context or emotion that may just be the way they speak. They may have yeah. they may have been snippy in that moment, but they're not a bad person. So I've come back at people sort of with a magnanimous response and then started a dialogue. And then it turned out completely fine. Yeah. Even though it definitely sounded like very much so like they're being snippy or, you know, aggressive, but not returning that necessarily. Again, I'm yeah. not saying that applied to your case, but sometimes it can come across that way. But it could easily go the other way. It could, I could easily have responded and could have turned into this blow up. And yeah. I think that people both on both sides have to be careful, you know, sort of mm-hmm. because it's hard to, to tell on, on, on the Internet intention.
1: Yeah, just like with text messages. Yeah, like if you're having an argument with somebody in text messages, you can't tell the tone. You can't tell. So sometimes what I do is if I, if I really feel like this person, I do like to feel understood, and I and I do want people to feel heard, and I don't like to shut people down. Mm-hmm. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll invite them to have a DM conversation with me, as a, because then you're also you can have a longer conversation, or whatever. And there was just the other day there was somebody who unsubscribe to pipeline artists because they didn't like and want this one article that that I chose as editor-in-chief to publish hmm. and and I said I my philosophy and this was my philosophy at script as well is not to determine what I think everything that I put out doesn't have to be something I agree with and everything I put out doesn't have to be the same opinion. Like, so if I have two writers who have two completely different viewpoints on something, I will post both things with Mm -hmm. opposing viewpoints. And because I think it, it sparks an engaging dialogue. And that's the whole point. Art is subjective. And so is advice about art. Right. And so certain advice will, will ring true for some people and not for others, just like, people learn in different ways. Some people are visual learners and some, you know. Um, so I like to put out a lot that engages people in conversation, even if it's, it's a healthy debate is a great thing. And I feel like we're losing that in our country, But yeah. like, that people just want everybody to be, think one way or another way. There's, you know, we have freedom of speech so we can have debates about things, intelligent, honest, respectful debates. And I, would love the world
0: to go back to that right if only we'll see where yeah. it goes what the future holds but yeah uh, um bad joke says hello so hello bad joke uh beth g says my Thanks. mom said the exact same thing about the front page of the newspaper well i guess that was mm-hmm. yeah good good advice uh, michelle agrees um so again sticking with social media i what are some of the things that writers other than just being a general jerk? What should writers avoid and what's sort of safe to put out there? I know a lot of writers, professional working writers will will say you don't need to at them that you didn't like their script or their film or whatever mm-hmm. it happened to be. And that's probably a good rule of thumb. That's not to say that that honest general Criticism, especially if you're a film critic, uh, can't yeah. be valid. Or, or it, it, not that you're not right. I mean, you could very well be right. But sort of bad mouthing things, especially if you're a creative, is not mm-hmm. necessarily the thing to do in a public forum. Although I do have to say um, that Bill Lawrence, uh, creator writer of of Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. is, is great on Twitter because, especially when people don't add him, but they'll he'll retweet and respond to people criticizing Ted Lasso. And and not in a negative, aggressive way, saying, oh, well, thank you, this is, you know, we intended this, or we're going to, you know, it's good to hear, uh, thank you for giving it a shot, or whatever. He's so magnanimous about it, and it's great. Yeah. But not all uh, creators are like that, and, and not everyone wants to, to read about it. Because oftentimes, it's not necessarily the writer's decision or fault that, what ends up on screen it's not entirely their Mm -hmm. fault you know there's a million decisions that go into it whether it's you know the director the showrunner this uh the studio the network whatever has their input the star and so it's an amalgam of talents that go into it um Mm -hmm. or even just budgetary reasons or scheduling reasons uh sometimes things just don't work and uh, trust me they more than anybody want it to work uh, yeah. So, bad mouthing people's passion is not necessarily uh, a good look, uh, especially again, if you're a creative and maybe you will want to work mm-hmm. with these people one day or want a job from these people one day and it may come back and right. bite you. Um, yeah. But going further into that, what are some of the things that writers should avoid posting other than like rants and things like that or being, you know, going aggro on somebody that they feel offended by or whatever? And what are some of the things that they can do because social media especially now with the pandemic has been used to build communities like yourself being in new york and community is huge community and networking is is huge and we're in an era where you can do it online from anywhere in the world so what are some of the things that writers out there should know not to post on social media or at least consider not posting and what are some of the things they should be doing seeking out and 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 posting and engaging with i
1: mean i know that and this is again, my opinion, there's not a, you know, everybody sure. has to kind of figure out what their comfort zone is or whatever. Like, you know, in the last handful of years, politics have been a big thing that people are posting about. I do, I have a political opinions, believe me.
0: And know? what are they? But, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's get into that, shall we?
1: But I, um, I don't post about that, you know, because it's like, And again, a lot of people feel that it's, that people should post about that. Like if, if somebody has a big platform that they should use that platform to try to influence people or whatever, and that's fine for people to think that my comfort level is not to do that because I don't think I would, you know, tweet, I'm never, I'm not going to change anybody's mind Hmm. about something like that. It's just going to put something out there. That's probably going to piss off half the, half of the people, you know, so if you've got half the people feeling one way and, and you know lean one way politically, the other half leaning the other, you say something, you're immediately pissing off and alienating half of the people. So if I'm writing novels and I want the full option of readers, why would I want to piss off half of the readers, hmm. like potential readers? I, I just, I'm a very, very practical person. And I just don't see any positive in that like i don't i don't see anything good that's going to come out of that me having a political rant on twitter so um and also what if the producer i just submitted a script to has a completely different political leaning and even though they don't talk about it online either and they're private with their beliefs we might work perfectly well together but now this person has thought well you know um so for a a myriad of reasons i would just avoid politics Mm -hmm. and also too i think i think that's a that's another big reason people are off of twitter is because they got like political overload and they they just want to break from it they you know and um so people come start coming back to twitter and that's still happening you know it's it kind of pushes them away again. And and if you're a writer and a creative and you're trying especially, especially a novelist and you're trying to get readers, you know, I think that's a problem. And but also in screenwriting, screenwriting is super collaborative. So you've got tons of people who are going to have to be involved with your project should it get greenlit and purchased. So, you know, they might start looking you up and you know make those decisions if they want to work with you or not. And, you know, all those other reasons that you mentioned before in terms of critiquing other artists, headline, adding them and and saying something, like you said, you don't know, maybe that writer had the that script that they wrote that got bought, you would have loved everything about it. But all these other people have touched it and changed it and notes have happened. And maybe the writer, when they're their episode of the show comes out, they don't even like it. Mm-hmm. But you know what they do like? They like having their name written by, you know? And respect that it took so much and almost like anytime something is made, it's almost a miracle. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I look at stuff, even if I don't like it, I respect everything that they had to go through to get that up on the screen and um, big or small screen, whatever. I I always honor that and um, have admiration for anyone who's been able to accomplish it.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But social is definitely, uh, everybody has to find their comfort zone. And also, too, some people, I don't think people should, we've talked a lot about Twitter, but, you know, some people are better, just like some people learn different ways. Some people are better at Instagram because Mm -hmm. they're really visual with their mind and, and their art, and they get great pictures and all of that stuff. And some people like Facebook because they like that more personal you know interaction you have to be friends first in order to do it i mean i think it's like not feeling like you have to be on every social platform i remember earlier in the twitter days all these other social platforms started coming out like vine and and there were there were a bunch of them that never went anywhere but everybody felt like oh my god there's another one i have to go join it Mm -hmm. you know and it was exhausting and um so what I would recommend is something, advice that I think Jane Friedman gave me when the, all these new platforms were coming out. Go secure your handle. Like genievB is my handle on Twitter. So I like to have that handle everywhere. So so there's continuity. So I go to the platforms, and new platforms that come out, I secure my handle, and then I walk away. And then I'm like, I don't have time for that. But at least if I do decide, if that becomes big, if that becomes some way to communicate mm-hmm. with people, I already have my handle and I can go back to it.
0: Right, right.
1: It's exhausting.
0: It is, and there's so many. Sometimes they'll come and go before I even get a chance to uh, investigate yeah. them.
1: Like, find that find that community. You know, like, I started Script Chat with um, Zoe Sanford and Jamie Livingston and Kim Garland back in 2009. Mm. Kim, Kim is now a professional TV writer out in L.A. She mm-hmm. went, went, went from Hell's Kitchen in New York and out to L.A. And, and I mean, there's and the script chat still exists and it's a completely different group of people who show up on Sunday nights and, but it's this sense of community and it's a, it's a way to talk about your craft. It doesn't cost you anything. And now there's, there's other chats now, like pipeline writers is on, I think five o'clock Pacific time on Fridays. And that goes on like for hours and people are just chatting. It's nothing Mm -hmm. formal. And then for novelists, there's pipeline authors on Thursday nights at five. But if you find these little communities and, it's like a water cooler and you feel less alone. You feel understood. You sure. like talking to other writers. So like, I would say focus on finding the positive in social and the things that can bring you joy and build your network and just tune out the rest. Like tweet deck is great. If you guys don't have that, because you can create columns mm. so you can put like people on lists on Twitter. And so you have a screenwriting list, an agent list, a, whatever. And then you just have the columns up and you can tone out the rest of the noise. It's awesome. Social That's media my, is like a, my, a second okay. job.
0: hmm Yeah.
2: It uh, is. Uh,
0: Marlin's Way asked, how do you have a strong opinion on social media without offending someone somewhere?
1: It's impossible. I think you have to just kind of like be comfortable knowing that you're gonna make somebody else uncomfortable. And that like, I think this is the, this is the part that's the hardest for people, because I find a lot of writers have this disease to please. And we want to be liked, which is why notes are so hard, Hmm. you know, and it's hard not to take things personally. But like, when you have an opinion, it's impossible that everyone in the room is gonna Like if you're at a party that everyone is going to agree with your opinion. But so if you're going to say something controversial and you actually want to have a conversation and you didn't want to just say it and walk away, which you you can do too. Um, But if you actually want to engage in a conversation, just, just have facts to back it up or have, you know, just so that it's not, so that it's not just emotionally based, like, you know, try to take the emotion out of it so you can have a dialogue, you know, and not be defensive. It's, it's impossible to not offend somebody like impossible sometimes i've sent out the most simple tweets and somebody would be like take offense to I'm like i just take offense to that like i'm talking about like writing a synopsis like, right you know, I just, like, like i mean it's amazing the little things that people get offended by but i think you have to just recognize that not everyone is gonna like you and that's okay and not everyone's going to like everything you have to say. And, like, be okay with it.
0: Hmm. Uh, I wanted to touch base on what you were talking about earlier, your column, Balls of Steel, um, for Script Magazine, the things that writers want to hear versus what they need to hear. So maybe you can touch on what is it that writers want to hear other than, you know, sign here, here's your contract, sign here. Uh, what are some of the things that you found that writers want to hear versus what they actually need to hear when they're starting out?
1: I think, you know, one of the things that people say all the time, um, especially when it comes to contests mm. or, you know, when somebody passes on your work, I think one of the things we say to ourselves as writers often, to as like salve on the wounds, is subjective you know writing is all subjective and judging is all subjective which is true um but also maybe you're not doing well in contests because your writing isn't that good like maybe you need to spend more time on your craft and um like spike scarberry who is very the same line as i am with balls of steel he writes uh um, articles for pipeline artists and he's he's very blunt and he's worked in the tv industry and in development for 10 years and he's you know he's a script reader for multiple contests and he's really honest you know he has a piece that just came out um about passion like you know the important that being the x factor and um that's a perfect example of you know where basically you know he's saying maybe you're not doing well in the contest because your writing isn't as good as theirs and and so and also, like, one of the other things, I think a kind of peeve of mine is when people say stuff like, all you have to do is write a great script and the cream will rise to the top. Well, yes, you have to write a great script, but is it going to rise to the top if it's sitting on your hard drive? Like that that whole thing, I've heard that said so many times and it makes me crazy because it it makes it sound like all I have to do is sit in my little cave and write this great script and I don't have to understand the business. I don't have to pitch it. I don't have to do it. I just have to write it. And it's magically gonna land on somebody's desk. Like it's, it's disingenuous.
2: Right. Like
1: you, you keep people, then what do you do with it? You write this great script and then talk about what you do with it. And, um, and then like the, I think the other, my other pet peeve is the write what you know because a lot of times um, people's lives are really boring and (laughs) like it's okay to research something. It's it's okay to try to, you know, observe other people and, and, um, you know, I had a conversation with um, another writer the other day where he was saying that he always tells people to write what you want to know, Hmm. you know, and I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it, you know, but I think it's just about, being, I think a lot of people just want to hear that it's easy, that there's like, it's sort of like, like you go on a diet, like everybody wants to hear, oh, if I just do keto, I'm going to drop 20 pounds like that. You know, well, you still kind of have to exercise. You still have to watch what you're eating. You still have to, it's, it's not easy to not pick up the bag of chips. Like you, you know, there's, there's no magic formula. Every writer has broken in a different way. So Stop looking for the secret, the magic formula. Like there is none. It doesn't exist. Find it. Figure it out. Go do the work.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do find that a lot of newer writers are, like you said, looking for that mm-hmm. one red pill that'll just take them on their journey rather than having to go through the myriad of steps and the failures and this and that. It's just like, what's the key? Give me the key so that yeah. I can take my script and get it sold and get it made and I can be rich and famous. Where's that key? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's there is a key, but it's hidden in a gigantic field with trees and rocks and and, and, and every field is different. And you and,
1: ha- and dragons are, right, are you yeah. know, getting in your way and, right. and blowing fire on you while you I see the key. And right. then they come and like pick it up and fly away with it. Yeah. So, and it, and also too like managers and agents like a lot of people think oh all I need is I got repped and then you see all these Mm. people like congratulating everybody online like when they got repped well guess what you know that's great but you also that doesn't mean you you, that manager isn't going to magically make things happen Mm -hmm. you still have to keep doing all the hard work and a lot of times you still have to promote yourself you know it's not just all up to them you're you're in partnership with them like you still have to do a lot of work
0: What do you tell to those writers who do seem like they are just looking for that shortcut? It's not about the work necessarily or the writing. It's just, I want that shortcut. What is it? What What do you tell those writers?
1: I mean, hell, I want the shortcut too. Like, don't we all? Mm -hmm. You know, like I want unicorns and leprechauns and a bag of money to drop in front of my lap, but it's not going to happen. Like, it's it's you know, you just. I would say to look at the people around you who have made it, you know, and ask them, like, there's a lot of people who, this is one of the reasons we like to do long form interviews on pipeline Mm -hmm. artists and not these little surface, like, Oh, you've got a book that came out. Oh, you've got a movie that came out. Tell us, how does it feel Mm -hmm. to have worked with these great actors, you know, how does it feel to watch your movie on screen? Let's talk about the 10 to 20 years before that you're working your ass off and the t- how many times you wanted to quit and how many, how hard it took to become an overnight success. Like it's, right. it's
0: the 10 year overnight you know, success or longer, but yeah.
1: Right. And you also hear about people who, you know, there be this script that might be their breakout script that they wrote before that. Yeah. And maybe they started this breakout script 10 years ago, and it's been through 20 iterations. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's, they're, I would say like read, read more in-depth interviews. The surface interviews are also, are usually just the press junket that they have to go on to promote the film. It's not, it's really about like promoting the film and getting people to buy tickets in the theater more than it's about the writer, which I think was one of the things I loved that Kevin sat down and talked with Kemp Powers after the Oscars, after all that stuff, after he was done with the press junket and he was like, had a minute to breathe and he was really, I mean, I cannot recommend reading that interview enough. It's so good because he was a play, he started as a playwright hmm. and he talked. and, and you know, One Night Miami started as a play. And so he talks about the whole process of, of you know, getting it to the screen and, and also, you know, being a black writer and, know some of those challenges and I mean when you get somebody when you get a chance to get into another writer's experience and they're willing to be really honest about what their path was you'll see that maybe one tenth of one percent was the lightning strike of I got this one script and there, there it went. Somehow it, it made it to the top. But the rest of them have been doing it for a long time.
0: Um, this actually sort of ties into a question that I had, but I'm going to uh, ask it from the chat. Ben Krasnow says, what is the best tale of perseverance around getting a script made that you've heard in the industry and why do you like it?
1: Well, that's a good one. Now I'll have to try to think of a tale that's hard to come up with because a lot of them have the same kind of theme
2: hmm.
1: where um, just like stories have a theme, success in this industry has a theme, and it's really about perseverance. And and I think um, there was a the guy we interviewed on Reckless Creative the other day, Skylar Lawson, who's got a film coming out, and, um, and he filmed it on celluloid. And he filmed it in Indiana. Like he did all these things and he did it himself for under Mm $70,000. You know, I think, and there's people like Gary King, you know, um, screenwriter filmmaker who started as an indie filmmaker. I think, I think the perseverance that it requires somebody to do things independently um, is really inspiring because you're not, just a writer, you then have to become either a writer, producer, or writer, director
2: yeah.
1: and um and step outside of your comfort zone. And but whenever you do that, even if you decide um you don't want to be a filmmaker and you find a team around you that that does and you have the experience of watching your film get made, whether it's a short film or a feature film, you learn you come out of it a better writer because you learn how those page, those words on the page are translated. And, and I think those, those stories of perseverance of people who were willing to do anything to get their work made and not take no for an answer. It's like, I do martial arts. Well, well, I did before I got hit by a tractor trailer truck and my back got jacked, but I still carry those lessons with me. If you're trying to take somebody down and they don't go down one way, you flip them the other way and take them down that way. Mm. It's about not taking no for an answer and finding if the door is shut, find a window that's got a crack. Like you've got to constantly be reinventing yourself and thinking, troubleshooting and brainstorming ideas of like, how are all the different ways I can do this? And how are all the different ways other people have done it? And is there a different way I can take? And because the industry constantly changes And, you know, streaming changed it, and then COVID changed it. And so you've got to always be thinking, I like a plan A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. Like, you know, so, you know, just be thinking about all the ways you can do it, but also recognize when it's, that it is okay to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Either with an individual project or with writing in general, like maybe you decide, you know what, I think I'd like to be a film editor. It's a different way of writing, you know? Um, different way of storytelling. And so there's ways that you can be creative and not drive yourself insane.
0: Right. <laughs> I I have a couple- wasn't a specific. No, I have a specifics. couple specifics and they're not necessarily breaking in stories. I don't know if that's what mm-hmm. Ben was talking about, but he said the best tale of perseverance about getting a script made. So I'm gonna go mm-hmm. a different yeah. route. And um, the the two that come to mind, one in film and one in television, uh, film is Oliver Stone trying to get Platoon made. I mean, it took him, I think, 10 to 12 years to get that. And he was a successful filmmaker, but nobody wanted to do a true life story about the Vietnam War. But he kept at it because it's his story. I mean, it, it, he was mm-hmm. a he's a Vietnam vet. I mean, his it, that's why it felt so authentic, because it, it drew a lot from his own personal experience and so he fought for it for years and years and years and obviously it was hugely successful One best picture uh you know he did an amazing job with it but it took him years and years and years he had to become an incredibly successful filmmaker before someone would say okay we'll make that movie but he stuck with it he could easily have just moved on and done other films because obviously he's done a ton of films um but yeah for oliver stone it was a fight to get platoon made and um the other is uh, matthew weiner and mad men you know, again, was a writer uh, producer on *Exiles* for a long time. Nobody wanted to make *Mad Men*, a period piece about ad execs, a period drama. Nobody wanted to make it, and it took him a long, long time to get someone to agree. You know, AMC to agree to make that show. And obviously, it turned out incredibly well. But uh, you can Google Matthew Weiner and *Mad Men*. You can see how uh, the ch- how challenging it was for him to get that made, getting hearing no. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times over and over and over and over again. But he stuck with it because he believed in it. It was his his baby. Um, uh, I also
1: think the same thing happened with Ted Lasso. I think it was like rejected like a hundred and something times. And his attitude was all I need is one. Yes. No, that's true. You know,
0: Uh, in terms of yes. I I know that Ted Lasso was started off as an NBC ad campaign for the Tottenham Hotspurs Mm. football club in in London. (laughs) And you can, you can watch it on YouTube. These commercials are hysterical and they were years ago. I remember seeing them years ago. And I, when, as soon as they said it was a TV show, I'm like, how are you going to turn that into a TV show? And it turned out great, obviously, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was an ad campaign years ago. Um, but yeah, whoever... there's a lot
1: of people and there's a lot of people in advertising, a lot of writers who work in advertising, mm. you know, um, and I've actually met a lot like, you know, copywriters, but also working at agencies like big ad agencies where they have to shoot commercials and and it gives them, it teaches them the skill of pitching, of working with actors, sure. like all this different stuff. And it, it's, I'm amazed how many people I've met who are screenwriters who have worked in advertising.
0: Interesting, yeah, I didn't know that. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So going back to uh, the question of perseverance, Mm-hmm. I, I've heard from some writers that if you need encouragement, you're in the wrong field because you're going to get rejected and you're going to get rejected a lot. But I think that, that that's – I don't think that's fair because yeah. everybody will face uh, questions, you know, the imposter syndrome or questions of, of you know, being discouraged and, and, and questions of mm-hmm. can you actually do this? What sort of tips or advice do you have for those writers out there who are hitting that spot where they're questioning their their commitment, their level of success, their skill and ta- their ability, whatever it happens to be, they're at that point where they hit that bump or pit, so, whatever it happens to be.
2: Yeah,
1: I think it's so hard because I think it kind of applies to everybody in every mm, career, sure. Like, and just in life, not even in work. You know, like you you everyone has insecurities everyone and the other thing is is we tend to look at these people who have made it and Mm. successful and we somehow think that they've got their shit together like that they're all you know they're perfect and they know what they're doing and they're super confident and uh, they're not they're you know they're insecure they had moments when they didn't think this was going to work for them and you know but they just managed somehow within themselves to wake up every day and say i'm today i'm not gonna quit you know i just need to get through today and um and maybe the other thing that you know i've been doing with writers on twitter this month is like 15 minute writing sprints Mm. like sometimes it's so daunting like we i almost every writer unless you're full-time professional writer you have a job and so I have a job, and um, and so you have to, and you have family, kids, pets, whatever. So you're, everybody I know is juggling a bunch of stuff. And so sometimes we feel like you get frustrated because it's been X amount of time, then it becomes more time, and months, and then a year since you've written a new story. And then you think, I'm just a hack, and what am I doing? And then you start psyching yourself out of sitting down to write. Like, oh, I, I need four hours to sit down to write. I don't have four hours today. I'll do it tomorrow. And sort of like, again, back to the diet thing. I already blew my diet, so I'm going to eat six cookies. Like, so it's the 15-minute thing. I've watched it really change a lot of writer's perspective because if you can touch your story for 15 minutes, um, it then stays in your head the rest of the day, hmm. And and you're still writing the rest of the day, even though you're doing other things. And you also feel it 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 fights that insecurity beast because I I looked at my story today, you know, hmm. even if it was just for 15 minutes. And then then on the days that you do have more than 15 minutes, it then sometimes you end the 15 minutes turns into two hours. But like I think I think the that's just a little side note. But the the mental mindset is really to just not beat yourself up, you know, and to not be so hard on yourself. And that every day, so so what if you haven't written written in two years? Today is a new day. You can just sit down and write for 15 minutes. It's just about, you know, and if you decide to leave this industry, if you decide to leave this craft and this art, how are you gonna really feel about it? Are Mm -hmm. you gonna feel like you didn't give it your all? Are you gonna feel what if? Or are you gonna be like, you know what? That was fun. Maybe I just want this to be a hobby. And, you know, I gotta say one of the things I struggle with is I absolutely love my job at Pipeline. And um, I see myself pushing my writing aside because I really love my job, you know? And so that I struggle with writing time because I love my job too much. So it's like, like everything in life, it's finding a balance and finding something that you can live with, but also knowing that you're literally, so many times I've heard of writers who almost quit, and then like that next day, they got a yes, or like a couple weeks later, they got a yes. So it's like, and it's also, that's also the messed up part about this Mm. industry. Like as as somebody who has a daughter in the mental health industry, sometimes I feel like we are crazy. Like we, you know, we write for free. We keep, we keep at this thing, even though we're not achieving the dream and goal that we want. And we just, what is wrong with us that we can't, it's like the definition of insanity. We do the same thing over and over again, right. expecting a different result. So, so I struggle sometimes when people will, will be crying to me. Like, I just don't feel like I'm never going to make it. What do I do? Um, I think it's you know the answer is different for everyone, but I think the the number one thing is just don't be so hard on yourself, and and if you really 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 want it, just just one day at a time, you know, just take it one day at a time.
0: I have a, a funny story. Um, I grew up talking about people who sort of were thinking about quitting and then had success mm-hmm. very soon after. It, it, I uh, I grew up in in Redondo Beach, and so. Uh, video archives, the old video store that you know started launched the careers of Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery uh, was in Manhattan Beach, so I, I would go there from time to time and uh, I became friends with some of the guys Quentin was already gone by the time I had been there, but my friend Steve-O was there and he told me a story that uh, there was a screenwriter who used to come in, a lot of them did but this screenwriter come in that he became friends with and was, was so broke that he couldn't really afford rentals but he wanted to watch movies and didn't have too much to do. So they would sort of lend him movies for free. They would just kind of not charge him. And, you know, he would come back with the movies. And one time they had lent him some, uh, rented him some movies for free and he would take them. He came back that afternoon and said, I can't watch these. And they're like, why? And he's like, oh, my power was cut off because he couldn't pay his power bill. Mm. And so they felt real bad, but he, you know, there's only so much you can do. And then the next day he came in and, uh, uh Paid off his tab, you know, whatever he owed, and said, "Yeah, I just had sold my my first script, and it was in the line of fire the Clint Eastwood film." So oh, literally, God. the next day, he had signed off on a deal to sell a script. So yeah, he went from his power being cut off to selling a script being made at Warner Brothers with Clint Eastwood, and uh, yeah, I mean, it can happen overnight, literally. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of uh, yeah, in terms of that line of thinking, you know, in terms of, of, you never know what, what's going to happen. Um, you know, he he thought about giving up, cut off.
1: And I, and I think like there's that practical side too. I mean, you have bills to pay, you gotta, you gotta eat. And like, so it's like finding a job that you can do that doesn't suck your energy and your creativity that still you know, gives you an opportunity. And when you're, when you're at that age, before you have a mortgage, before you have Mm. kids, before, when you're younger, take some risks, like, you know, so that you have that time to create before you have all those other responsibilities and a nut to hit that you're, that's going to force you to have to go get a job that may drain you, you know, like if I could do it, you know, if I figured out, I didn't figure out what I want that I really wanted to write until I was, in my forties, you know? Mm. And so I was running a restaurant, a motel, and I you know, just a whole I had a whole other different life before then and completely reinvented myself when I turned forty because I realized I was miserable, you know? And but if I had figured it out, I think those people who figure out that they want to be writers when they're younger, it's such a blessing. You know, like if you want to be a screenwriter, you know, get an internship. Like you know, hustle, get a get an apartment that you share with other people. So your rent's cheaper, like, do it do whatever you can. Because, believe me, you think you've got all the time in the world, but you really don't.
2: Because once that other
1: stuff happens, once you have kids and, and that mortgage, it's it goes like that. And you're like, what the hell? You know, I wished I had taken advantage of my 20s when I had all that time and you know, to write and create, you know, just figure out your priorities.
0: Yeah, and uh, but I think what you had mentioned before is, is a great piece of advice in that don't compare yourself to others. Okay. And I've seen writers achieve success very early on in their career, a few years after film school, that flamed out. That you know they got one or two successes and then nothing. I mean, a, you know, a decade goes by before they get another job, and then I've seen those that struggled for a long, long time and. But when they finally get their shot, they have a long, successful, productive career. So your story is your own and your timeline is your own. And whether you make it right away or whether it takes a decade or longer, it is what it is. Um, And the other piece of advice that i had been given was uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And again, for you, you may achieve success very early, but I don't think you can. You should compare yourself to those that have had success early. (laughs) Uh, because Mm -hmm. it it doesn't often happen i mean it does from time to time and uh, but you know think about it as a marathon and and you'll be better off because if your journey ends sooner i mean in terms of hitting that level of success sooner then that's great but be prepared for a long journey
1: and i will say like when i look back on 2009 twitter Mm -hmm. and all those people who i met back then who aspired to be screenwriters and whatnot and there's like just a little handful of them left. Sure. Um, most of them ended up leaving this dream behind because they needed to make money to pay the bills. And, you know, and I would say that's probably the most common thing that, that thwarts people's efforts.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, and probably why you see, like, if you go to writers' conferences, like screenwriting conferences, there's a lot of young people and when you go to novel writing conferences, there's a lot of older people mm. who are retired, like because now they don't—they've got their retirement. They're sure. fine. They can—they can now write. And you know, there's something to be said, like when people talk about ageism in Hollywood and and all of that. Like, you know, when you're older, you have a lot more to say. You've got a lot more life experience. There's a lot more of that. What do you know? And um, and so you know, that's a whole other topic—the uh, ageism in the industry you know, I'm not, a spring chicken. I, you know, I got a lot to say, um, you know, so there's, there's just, a, you know, life grows different things at you, but, you know, you got to just be adaptable.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we've had that conversation and I've actually straight up asked uh, a number of showrunners and things uh, about sort of ageism and yeah. whether it's, just sort of a canned answer, or whether it's the PC answer, whatever it happens to be. Um, I don't think it is, though, when they say that they actually would love to have older writers because of the reasons you had said, you know, a dearth of experience and, and life experience and, and and a knowledge base that's larger than I went to college kind of thing. But what they had said was, as long as that writer, especially when they're starting off, is a writer who is willing to learn and grow like a staff writer. They don't bring ego into it because maybe that they were a vice president of a company, maybe that they were a former attorney, maybe that they had their own business. And when you come in and you think that you're sort of above where you should be, i.e. you're starting off as a staff writer, it becomes sort of, that's where you sort of have a problem. And then say yeah. they, all of them have that I've spoken to have said that if, if they have no problems with older writers, as long as that writer knows that they're starting off as a staff writer and, and comes mm-hmm. in with that mentality, they said it's worked great because they prefer having their, that voice, that experience, You know, having children, having a mortgage to pay. Those are all things that are life's experiences that younger mm-hmm. people don't tend to have as much. Um, but again, they say they do run into a wall once in a while when they come in expecting to be treated differently because they are older. So mm-hmm. if you are an older writer... Keep that in mind. You get a showrunner meeting or something like that. Uh, come in humble. Come in without an ego, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll probably do fine.
1: And I also think the younger writers need to come in humble and without. An no, ego. sure, sure. <laughs> That's true
0: too. That's absolutely true too. Um, yeah,
1: it's always good to approach life that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marlon's way he says marathon. I remember joining the AOL screenwriter chat every Friday night. I didn't know AOL had a screenwriter chat. That's kind of cool.
2: That uh, is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's the precursor to script chat on Twitter, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um but it that's is That's
1: actually where my yeah. that's actually where my handle came from. Oh. When a when AOL first started, mm-hmm. not that chat. I didn't know anything about that chat. Right. But my I was like, what is this internet thing? <laughs> my brother set up my first email account with AOL and he chose GenieVB. And then I just kind of not knowing that that would end up being like my identity
2: (laughs) years and years later. Your
0: permanent internet identity. Yeah. 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 I remember that. Um, So uh, going back to uh, writers, when they're sort of starting off in their career, and again, you having columns... Number of columns and having engaging a lot of emerging writers with Script Chat and nows Pipeline. Um, going back to things that writers need to know. Uh, what are other things that that newer writers, like you had said, going without an ego? Uh, what are other things that valuable things, valuable lessons that a lot of writers. Uh, who are just sort of starting out in the business, not necessarily in the craft, uh, but in the business that you think they should know, that a lot of them are lacking?
1: Um, I would say, and this is really, really hard because you can't teach it, Hmm. um, writing voice, like developing your own unique writer's voice. And sometimes, like when I interviewed Jane Friedman, she was telling me about, Um, because Jane is the one who taught me to trust my writing voice. And um, trying not to write the way you think somebody wants you to write, but like really trusting your own voice because that's something like even, you know, I think that's also something that makes a script stand out in a contest because you can't teach, and this is something Matt always says to the team, like you can't teach writing voice, you know? And um, you can teach craft and structure and all that other stuff, but voice is a unique thing. And um, and so I think that those are the kinds of scripts that people notice, you know, because it's like they just grab you right out of the gate because there's something about their voice mm-hmm. that just pulls you right in. And um, the other thing for me that I can't, I think subtext, writing subtext and learning how to write in a subtextual sort of way is also um a really great thing to to learn and to figure out because um i personally when i am watching a film or reading a book um if if the writer treats me like i'm stupid i'm out
2: Hmm. I'm
1: out. If I'm reading a book and they think I'm done, that book is shut. It's gone. It's I'm done. And I like somebody, I like to consume content that assumes the audience is smart.
2: Hmm.
1: And, um, and you can see it in certain, you know, films, but like my husband had on like, I don't know which one because I'm not a star Wars person, but he had on one of these star Wars. I'll describe the scene and some of you might know what it is, but and again, I'm not assuming that the writer is the one who did this. There's a lot of people who touch it. Sure. And somebody might have said, you need to put this in because the audience isn't going to know what you're talking about.
0: Which happens a lot more like, than you think.
1: Right. So, like, no diss on the writer. But, like, it was a scene where Ray, I think her name is. Um, and then there was... I don't know the names of all the characters. So some bad guy. I think it was played by Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. Is that?
2: Yeah. Right?
1: So he, he was... Luke Skywalker was there and and just standing there and he had him come out came out with his lightsaber and somebody else another character was saying to another character do you know why Luke is doing this Luke is doing this so we can get away right. and I was like oh my god like you know like it I can't stand that kind of stuff like so think like when you're writing like really think like will my audience understand this? Like, you know, if I don't write this on the nose piece of dialogue, like, is there some other way I can show this in the actions of the character mm-hmm. or, you know, or something like that, you know? And the other thing I think writers don't wanna hear is that they have to understand the business. They really want to just be in their cave writing. And um, I would love to just be in my cave writing, you know? I think we all kind of would and because I remember after I finished that first script you know holding it warm out of the printer and like so excited right and then all of a sudden realizing
2: what <laughs> right
1: you know and it, and so then it becomes a, okay now I have to pause writing and now I have to learn the business side of it like how do I do this and um and I think that's something that, that writers struggle with. They somehow think if they get the manager, they're not going to ever have to learn the business side of it, but you still do because your manager is going to send you on meetings. You know, and they'll probably sit there and train you and teach you a little bit about pitch meetings and stuff like that. But, you know, the bottom line is that people want to like you, not just your project, mm-hmm. because they're going to be working with you. And this project will end and hopefully another project will, they'll get to work on with you. So, right. but if they don't like you, they're not, they're going to be like, okay, this project's over. Thank God Jean's out of here. <laughs> right. You know, and then they'll work with somebody else. And so just, just relax. Like they're, when you're in pitch meetings, I love to pitch, but when you're in pitch meetings, they want to find something that they're going to like. They're not, you know. They really want. They hope they didn't wouldn't set this time apart to sit down with you, unless they wanted to find something that they that was great. Right. So they're coming in wanting to like what you have to say, you know. So just relax. Like don't get so stressed about it. You know. They put their pants on one foot at a time.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> no, and I think that's a a great way to look at it because it's true. Executives, it's that weird dichotomy. Executives are desperate to find the next great idea, the next great script, the next great filmmaker, screenwriter. That's their whole job. A lot of these directors of development and and creative execs, they want to find the next Quentin Tarantino, you know, the Mm -hmm. next whoever. That's their whole goal. That being said, if they're not blown away, if they're not wholly convinced, it's easier to say no than say yes to someone they're unsure of. And get fired for yep. promoting for uh, uh, developing something that's complete and abject failure, right? So it's that that weird balance of uh, looking at it like they do want what you they they want that great idea they want that great script they that's the whole reason for their job, but if they say yes and you turn out to be a failure for whatever reason whether you're just you know personality wise experience wise with with, a freak whether your whether your script isn't as good as they or you think it is or just for whatever myriad of reasons that have nothing to do with you Mm -hmm. and so it's easier they can stay in their job a long time by saying no to everything but once they say yes that thing better be a hit or their job is on the line right yeah so
2: um
0: but that's a good way to look at it like they do want to like your project they want to love your project more than anything Mm -hmm.
1: um and if you get the project that like like i remember interviewing chris salvatera who mm -hmm. um is at hbo doing limited series miniseries um it was a few years ago i'm assuming he's still at that position super nice guy but i remember him in the pitch meeting him telling me the story about how he discovered american pie Mm -hmm. american pie script and it was real, the, the original script that was submitted was like really raunchy, like really like way over the top. Like it is, it was calmed down, you know, what you see on what you saw on screen. Right. But him having to make that decision, like I have a female boss, do I want to bring this script to her? Because I think the script is fantastic. I think it has so much potential. Mm-hmm. And he championed this, you know, and he knew that if I bring it to her, I may get fired. Like, I, you know, she might be so offended that she'd be like, what is this guy thinking recommending this script? but obviously we all know turned out great but it's like so it's not just your your writing skill it's also like some of it is luck like getting to the person who is going to champion what you're doing and and you can't always control that mm-hmm. you know so like there's there's so that you don't go crazy in the industry it's like focus on what you can control which is putting really a really good story on the page and then you can control whether you network with people or not, whether you reach out to people or not, whether you do enough research of who might be the right person. Like IMDB Pro, get a subscription to that because it gives you contact information for people and and you can get, you know, all this other information about, you know, how much money the film made and and whatnot. Like research before you start pitching to people to make sure you're pitching to the right people. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, like I met Doug Richardson, we've been friends, I don't even know how many years, 10 years now, but I met, he wrote Die Hard 2, Bad Boys, Hostage, and I met him on Twitter, you know, and, and we just, and we became friends because I didn't talk to him like he was some sort of big star. I just talked to him like he was a guy, you know, just a normal person. And, you know, people like to be treated that way. They, you know, I mean, some people I'm sure love to be treated like stars. But- some people want to just have a genuine real conversation mm-hmm. with someone you know
0: right um, you would talked about a couple things like subtext which uh, is a little bit more quantifiable like don't ex- over ex- don't be over expository with what you're doing like instead of saying man that Jake is really a great guy yeah I agree he's my best friend he's so awesome yeah he's such a nice person I remember he used to help old ladies across the street or whatever just show Jake yeah taking care of a stray cat, you'll get the same right. effect, right? Um, but voice is something that is sort of amorphous. And mm-hmm. a lot of writers, especially newer writers, don't know what that means per se or how to find their own voice or how to exp- you know express that in a script. How does a newer writer discover what their voice is? How do they know when they have it or what that means even?
1: I think like reading screenplays of films you really loved because obviously we all know this, the screenplay is different than the film. Mm-hmm. So, and you also want to understand like those screenwriters of their, the movies, like say, say Quentin, for example, his screenplays are a lot longer than the, than this typical spec script, but they can be, cause he's directing them. But, but if you read his screenplay, you get his voice, you know, and then like you read another script from a different writer, you'll see what their voice is like. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then try one of the things that somebody, um, I think it was Jane who told me this, that like some writers start off, like, especially in like MFA programs or whatnot, they start like imitating, they find that writer that they like, and they, whether it's in prose or screenwriting, and they start imitating their voice. Do that because it's, teaches you it, you're going to learn something and you're going to eventually get a little more competent. And so that you, then your voice starts to shine and come through and your voice will probably end up a combination of multiple people's voices. Um, and then before you know it, it just organically and naturally becomes something that's unique to you. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just requires a lot of writing, a little competence, experimentation, you know, and, and also I think, not just voice, but it's how much passion you have about a project that you're writing, because if you're, I remember working on some scripts with, um, I've had several different writing partners over the years and that's a whole other topic, but we talked about that on one of the Reckless Creative Podcasts, but um, the, you're sometimes you end up working on a project that you thought you were gonna really like And then after a long time, you're like, I really don't care (laughs) anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not interested in this, especially if you're in a partnership. The partner might be really into it, but you're not really that into Mm it. It is going to show on the page if you're just dialing it in. So you're better off just putting it over there because maybe someday you will be more interested in that. But only write stuff you're really excited. You can't wait to get back to the laptop to keep working on because then... You're gonna a get back to the laptop and keep mm-hmm. working on it, and b you're gonna it's gonna show on the page like your passion and enthusiasm for it, and then because you're passionate and enthusiastic about enthusiastic about it, the voice is gonna start coming through. It's kind of all uh, it's kind like of which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like it's kind of all intertwined and related to each other. You know, if you're really excited about it, and think about the things you write, like even if you write. Oh, one of my favorite things, stream of consciousness writing,
2: Hmm.
1: where you set like a timer for 15 minutes and you just write and you don't stop and you don't think and you don't go back and edit. You're not, you just literally vomit out whatever is in your head and do that. Like as a pre-writing exercise, it kind of warms you up, but it also you can, you will start seeing your voice shine and come out because you're not thinking, you're not allowed to think. Just don't worry about each word choice or anything like that. Just write, just write for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you'll also like, even if you do it, like I'm going to pretend like right now, I'm my main character and I am going to spend 15 minutes writing, crawling in their head and seeing what they're thinking. And, that you know that there's so many things you can use stream of consciousness writing for um i'm a huge, huge huge fan and even like just for yourself like a like almost like a diary entry you'll you'll learn a lot about yourself right
0: um okay here's a couple questions from the live stream chat uh michelle says as i research about where to post my work online be it Amazon or an online competition, there's an almost overwhelming amount of places with different benefits. How do you navigate which sites to trust?
1: That's really hard. um, But trust is hard. (laughs) And, you know, I think think when it comes to, like, contests, like, I have – I used to enter all these random, obscure things. Oh, this is a contest. Maybe this will do it. Maybe this, you know, and basically if it's a, if it's a, a contest in your hometown and you live in, you know, Idaho where it's probably not going to do anything for you. Like I always look at, um, it's not just the success stories, but I look at the finalists. Like I'll go mm-hmm. and look and see like who were the finalists of this. And then I'll go look up each one of the finalists and some some of them, you know, because I now have a very very a large network of screenwriters, um, I will recognize, I will often recognize a name, and then I'll reach out to that person. I'll be like, so what was your experience with that contest? Like, how did that how did that go? How did they treat you? Did they was it just you were announced finalist and then you never heard from them? Mm-hmm. Did they just put your name up on the site and no one even told you? Like like or and and how long did they stay in touch with you after? Like or that you know like there's things like that, that finalists are usually very happy because they're writers. They're happy to talk to you and, and share their experience. So that's one thing. And I think, you know, it's so tough because there are a lot of outlets out there that take advantage of writers a lot and a a lot. And it's, um, there's a lot of us, there's a lot of writers, you know, there's a lot of people who are, um, desperate to break in you know I think you just try to try to work on the network and and ask your friends like is anybody familiar with this like those are the kind of things that Twitter is good about because if some you'll find out quickly if somebody has smack to say about something else but don't just trust the first tweet that comes out because they could be jaded they could have Mm -hmm. you you don't know what they you don't you know who sometimes you unless it's a tweet a person sending the tweet who you know and respect. But just like with feedback on your screenplay, get multiple opinions before you make a decision. Like, you know, so ask people, what is your experience been being, you know, hosting your script on the blacklist? What's your mm-hmm. experience, you know, with this company or that company? And, you know, see um, what they have to say. And also too, you can see like, if you follow managers and agents on, on social media, they will be talking about the place, the sources where they get their scripts from, where they get their clients from. Mm-hmm. So pay attention to the, and like, you know, when Kevin has a, a lit manager on the show, listen, because they will most likely say, this is how I find most of my clients. And so, you know, pay attention to that kind of stuff. Like what, what where they're looking. Because um, it might be different than where you're putting your stuff.
0: Sure, absolutely. Um, let's see here. Henry Ward Rotakainen, hopefully I spelled your name right, uh, Henry, uh, says, what different business or industry advice would you offer someone who only wants to have a passion project, particularly shorts, uh, scripts be made versus people wanting to make it career-wise? Um, well, that
1: like easier because you're not worrying you're just trying to sell or work on this one project or Mm. a handful of projects that you're really passionate about i mean i think if you're not if you don't care about the career like being a career writer or filmmaker but you just have these passion projects you want to do um i would personally do them independently if i could and put them in film festivals and and whatnot and you may accidentally stumble into a career (laughs) You know, because they, because if you're working on stuff that you're really passionate about, Mm -hmm. I would hope that's going to show in the project and, and all of that. So you may accidentally be discovered, you know, but if it's not something that you're worried about a whole big career, then you don't, you don't need to look for a manager because a manager manages your career. They don't want to take on somebody who's just like a one or two project and that's all they care about, you know?
2: Um.
1: I think going the indie route is probably a really good idea to do that you know because like ideas aren't copyrightable so it's not like the the odds of you selling your idea is pretty slim um because somebody could just it's how you execute the idea Mm -hmm. that that lends you into the copyright area so um i think about getting some people together to do some indie projects with
0: yeah, no, that's what great. What's your advice.
1: answer to that question, Kevin? I'm curious what you would say. To no, that. it's
0: it's the my advice for somebody who has a passion project but not looking at a career, just wants to. Especially they say passion a passion project, which leads me to believe that one one. But then particularly shorts, which leads me to believe more. Mm-hmm. So I would say what you say, make it go out and shoot it. Whether find whatever's most producible with among your shorts. Or your whatever. Whatever's most producible, i.e. you can do with the least amount of money and resources and go out and shoot it. Uh, That way you don't have to... Because unless you have a lot of friends, family with money or you have connections with with a bunch of dentists who are trying to break who want to see their name on screen or something and are going to give you money it's incredibly hard to raise money in sort of a ground roots, grassroots campaign like uh, studios and, and production companies don't tend to fund shorts um, mm-hmm. unless it's part of a bigger piece of some kind. Like Pixar will do it if they're developing something. They'll make shorts to sort of a proof of concept. Uh, but a lot of times uh, a filmmaker will do a proof of concept for as a short for a feature they're developing or whatever it happens to be. But if you just want to do short films or if you just want have one big uh, project you want to do, go out and make it. And if you have the ability to shoot it using whatever resources, like, uh, uh, Robert Rodriguez, if you read rebel without a crew and his making of El Mariachi, um, he just wanted to make a film. So he went out and he wrote a script. He thought he could produce, uh, raised the money by becoming a medical, uh, test patient. He went to a, hosp- a test hospital and they experimented on him. I don't know what they did. I can't remember. Uh, got a check for like $8,000 for spending a, a month in the hospital where they did medical tests on him or something like that. Took that money, shot a film, shot a feature film with it and took it to festivals, uh, got picked up. They, What you see on the screen is not actually the complete version he did. They you know, did color correction, they re-edited it, they did sound design and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he went out and shot his own thing. And so if that's what you want to do you're not looking at it career-wise then just go out and shoot it um whatever project is most producible but like you said uh uh, jvb is you may find yourself if that's if that turns out to be the true passion project and it comes across and you're able to do a good job with the resources you have that may end up being a career you may get signed based off of it and that kind of thing um You
1: might also learn that you like it and that maybe you do want to make it a career.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess my question would be if you love filmmaking, you have a passion for it and you have stories that you want to tell, why wouldn't you want it to be a career? But maybe they're talking more like what you were saying in terms of maybe they just don't want to deal with the business side, the corporate side. Yeah. And they just want to tell their own stories. And, yeah, I mean, the best thing to do is just go out and make it. Do it independently. Do it on your own even, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, we have been at it for almost an hour and a half. Our time is— Oh my God! Is, right? That long. Was... Yeah. So our time oh is God. running short. Um, I appreciate everyone showing up today. I appreciate you taking the time. What's the last bit of advice for the emerging writers out there who are just starting their career or having, you know, in the early stages of their career? What would you say to those I mean, writers?
2: I think-
1: I think it's um, what I would say is you have to cast a lot of nets, you know, so write stuff that, you know, reiterating some of the advice we already gave, but like write stuff you're really passionate about, but also, you know, find that, you know, space that you can write and be creative, that time of day that you're most creative. Some people... Some people get up at like three in the morning and write, that's not me, I can't do that. I, um, you know, I've tried writing at night, but I'm usually in the tequila by then and <laughs> so I'm tired. Um, the mornings tend to be a really good time for me, um, but find like that time of day that's good for you, find find people who support you. You know, a lot of people don't have family members mm. who um, are emotionally supportive of this because it's it is a really long, tough haul um but also consider writing something else not just scripts you know consider writing screenplays writing short stories writing your screenplay idea as a short story you know broke mountain was a short story that got adapted benjamin button was a short story like and there's lots of them that were like there's more than one way in and Hollywood loves intellectual property. So if you take your screenplay and you write it as a novel, even if you self publish it mm-hmm. as a novel and and then now you've got the book rights they have to purchase and um, I like to go to the New York um, uh, rights fair that mm. they usually have every year in May where producers come in and publishers and agents and where they talk about book rights and um and now it used to be that hollywood wanted nothing to do with the author like nothing like we will buy your book yeah you think you can write a screenplay yeah 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 pat you on the head and send you off your way but now they actually last year they didn't have the have it because of covid but sure. The last one I went to, they were saying the producers were saying they actually now like it if an author has a screenplay version has already adapted it because it saves time for them in development. So, so if you've got this great script and your script is really and and write it as a novel, you know, you can certainly pitch it to the to it's easier to get a novel published than to get a screenplay produced so try all the different angles and. And don't limit yourself and challenge yourself and push yourself. But most importantly, when you're writing, go to those places emotionally that make you a little uncomfortable. Every time one of my friends has broken through, it's because they finally wrote that effort script, you know, Or, or they finally wrote that thing that was so raw and so personal that they the executive just had to keep turning the page Mm -hmm. It made it really really compelling I think sometimes just like just like we protect our protagonist sometimes too much when we write that first draft we probably because we relate to the protagonist a little bit and we're protecting ourselves but like so don't be afraid to like bleed on that page you know I mean one of the most and it doesn't have to be complicated the the most compelling story I think ever is six words long and it's by Hemingway and it is for sale baby shoes, never worn, Hmm. you know, it all right there. You can, you can think about that for hours and it's a different story in everybody's head, Right, but it's, you know, so just that's a sad story, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, and, I moved every time I say it or I read it. So you just want to move people and you can't move people unless you're willing to um, be a little vulnerable.
0: Yeah, no, that's great advice. Um, Be sure to follow uh, JVB on Twitter if you're not already. It's at uh, J-E-A-N-N-E-V-B. And that's probably for all your social media, right? (laughs) Because... so, and
1: script chat too.
0: And script chat too. Uh, oh, one is,
1: plug for script chat. Yeah, is,
0: go find, go go go. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Sunday night. Yep. Sunday night. It's just one hour from five to six specific time. Um, just follow the hashtag, and we also have a, a website scriptchat.com. And tomorrow night we have um, actually we have a script pipeline talking about contests. So if you guys are entering contests, you want to find out the behind the scenes. Um, a couple of the readers are popping in, too. So.
0: And yeah, that's always good to know, what readers yeah. are paying attention to. Um, so thank you, JVB, for coming on. Um, You're Henry, Marlon, Michelle, everyone in the chat, thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, we're on, off next Saturday, but we're back on on Monday. So instead of Saturday, it's Monday, uh, August 9th. We've got uh, Jen Grisanti. Uh, join us for that. It's at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern. Um so thank you all, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we will see you Monday the night.